Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Casey, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Oh my goodness. I've heard you ask this question. <laughs> so for me, I'm using the difference of how I came to be. So being a person with a, a very different background and using that to help with the work that I do. Also being a person that moves a lot and a person that's had to embrace a lot of resilience. I think that's why I chose that name is that you have to embrace that difference 100%. and use that use that in your life that's your life's purpose so for me that's how i'm doing it is using my lived experience to definitely support anybody who is coming from a historically marginalized background people with disabilities people who are economically disadvantaged that's how i'm using my difference how you day how you day that was the voice of casey dupart and today's episode is a doozy yes doozy am i old whoa whoa I didn't even think that I would be using that term, but here we have it. Today's episode is, is amazing because we talk about what resilience is, and you get to actually hear that through Casey's lived experience. She's an amazing woman who's worked across several industries, and I found her story to be really motivational because she embraces what her company is all about, and she really talks about the importance of understanding different lived experiences, the psychology of that, and why the psychology of that can never be taken for granted. A lot of times when we try to approach the root of problems, we look at it from this symptomatic approach. We don't try to figure out what the cause is. So I hope that you can get some inspiration from her experience, from her story, and that it inspires you to do something with your life as well. That's always the hope with the podcast, right? There's always the hope with the guests. So enjoy the episode. I have only one ask from you all. I, I have been asking for a couple of weeks. Please go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. I lied. I have another request. Share an episode or two with friends or family, and then we can continue to grow that way. That's the best way to grow the podcast. I love you all. But for now, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today's guest is Casey Dupart. Now, she's the founder of Embracing Resilience Consulting, and she's been involved in schools for the past 14 years. She's trained in school psychology, applied behavioral analysis, racial equity, inclusive leadership, project management, trauma, as well as educational leadership. And she has led state school psychologists and behavioral analysis associations, designed state social and emotional learning frameworks, as well as served on a national equity, diversity, and inclusion task force. So 
you can probably sense a theme here. We're going to be talking about a lot of applied behavior, psychology, and inclusion. Welcome to the show, Casey. No, thank you for having me. Well, I've been busy. <laughs> you have been busy. You know, you know. Sometimes when you are on stage and you hear someone read your bio, and you're like, mm -hmm. "Huh, I don't know if I give myself enough props." I feel like <laughs> reading your bio, I could see you know, 14 years. That's that's right. incredible. Kudos right, to you. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, we've been we've been hitting a lot of different places. My husband and I, you know, because he's Air Force, so I've been able to sample quite a bit. Nah, okay. Well, then let's let's even go back to the beginning. You're originally from is it the South? Austin, yes, Austin, Texas. You, you know, people they say they say this about Austin. They say you know Austin is the keep a weird function of Texas. So, <laughs> ha, ha, what is it like growing up in Austin? And I know you grew up in Austin before it became this tech space, South by Southwest. So, what, yeah. what was that like? So I was there when it was cool. <laughs> oh, oh, oh wow <laughs> okay <laughs> before it evolved into what it is now no shade but i you know it's, it's different when i visit home now okay. but it was it was a lot of live music and lots of people from all over and i i, I treasure that because i see now how special that time was to actually grow up there before it evolved into one of these really really big cities within the united states gotcha gotcha and so then did you know that you wanted to study psychology the mind and, and really people or was it just like I, a journey? I think so in high school it was one of those things that I started to realize like I think I should go into a field that helps those from historically marginalized backgrounds I may not have had the language and the ability to articulate it that way but I remember certain teachers that were very critical in my life certain educators that saw me saw value in me and that was the kind of the beginning of wanting to go into psychology and working with students. Yeah, I, I, I often ask those questions because I think sometimes when you look back, you can start to see the little clues, you know, even if, mm -hmm. like you're saying, you don't have language for it, but you start to see the things that you're passionate about, the things that right. you know, made you angry, the things that, you, you know, that led you down this path. And so, okay, so Austin, and mm -hmm. you, you graduated from high school, where'd you go to college? I, went, I started at Texas State, and then we got orders to Italy. So then oh. I ended up at University of Maryland. Because <laughs> you go to Italy, you go to the different school that's provided there. So I got very lucky because I was able to continue my training, which is kind of rare for a lot of military spouses. So I feel very fortunate that I was able to continue undergrad, graduate school. Huh. Wait, so you got married early then? Oh yeah, I got married really young. Because you, so you were, that. yeah, because you were in college. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> but that's but hey, it's a blessing yeah, when you find yeah. the love of your life. Uh, you know, early. Yes. So wow, okay, so then you, I, I, I'm looking at you through the lens of how I look at my mother. My mother was, the, you know, uh, a diplomatic spouse, and so mm -hmm. she was always moving. And I always used to ask her the questions of what it was like moving to different environments every mm -hmm. three, four years. What was that like for you when you moved in between school to have mm -hmm. to go to the University of Maryland? How did you navigate and figure out to connect? Uh, it was it was terrifying at the beginning because I come from a large Afro-Mexican family. Mom side's Afro-Mexican, dad side's Nigerian, and they were everything for me. So making that transition from Texas to Italy was really big. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to see the world, but it was very important to me that I maintain a career. My yes. husband knew that. I was like, if I'm coming with you, 
career is happening. (laughs) 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 It was it was one of those things that we talked about, we discussed it and we were able to do it. I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that cross moves. But you definitely you shape shift a lot and you do have to adjust to every setting, every setting, every place was different. That's the but that's the that's the part there, though, the maintain the career, because I, I, how did you do it? Because, you know, even with my mom, my mom, you know, she she would have to resign often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about it now. And, you know, I, I'm always saying, you know, I, I don't know that I like the system in place that the spouse has to do something. But you found a way to not do that, which is an interesting thing to hear. How did I'm you? Fortunate. I was very fortunate and I didn't realize how fortunate I was until this move six and I'm moving to Honolulu and I realized like, oh, certain places are really difficult to navigate. Yes. So I was able to, because I am licensed as a school psychologist, a behavior mm-hmm. analyst. Those were easier to move with initially, I'll say that, because Hawaii doesn't have a state license for mm. school psychologists. They're still in the process of recognizing that officially. And I'm hoping that they do soon because it's impactful to students and families. But I was able to do it from Maryland, Texas, North Carolina, and Utah. I was able to keep, keep licenses. Certain states don't always have a license for BCBA behavior analyst. But um, the K-12 administrator, I can typically, within K-12, you can navigate it, I will say, easier than other professions. Because I've had military spouses that are lawyers, and they are like, this is much yeah. more challenging. Or if they're in the business realm of things, it's a little bit more challenging. I, I, I will say I'm very fortunate. I got lucky with our assignments. No, no, I I can I can see that being the case, especially with doctors or lawyer engineer because mm-hmm. of the licenses. Um, right. Okay. No, fair enough. I, I, I you know, I gotta ask though, what is applied behavioral analysis? Because you mentioned it there and I mentioned it in, in the introduction. I know what it mm-hmm. is, but I'm asking like an audience member. But right. what is it? Yeah, what exactly is applied behavioral analysis? So layman's terms, we know how to understand environment in order to implement behavioral change. So a lot of us work with people with disabilities, people with with autism often or um, within the school setting, helping students who are struggling with developing socially appropriate behaviors or regulating properly. A lot of students who uh, have been impacted by trauma. So a lot of it is helping to develop behavior intervention plans so that people can develop skills for life. So that's, and you can work across multiple settings. We can do clinic, you can do home, you can do school. A lot of us are branching out, even working working with people who um, were previously incarcerated. So I'm happy to see a lot of the field kind of blossoming and growing. We're definitely doing more around inclusion and um, diversity. So that is huge because when I first became a behavior analyst, that wasn't really being talked about. One of the reasons I ask the question is because I do think this is one of the, you know, I work in diversity as well. It's one of the things I don't think people talk about enough. You brought up incarcerated, you brought up people mm-hmm. dealing with, with you know, different things on the mental health spectrum. How, mm-hmm. how is it really applied on a systemic level, do, you know, when it comes to diversity or inclusive rules and regulations in schools and workplaces? It, it varies. That's why it's so pivotal that a lot of us get that insight and get that training. So I can speak for myself when yes. I was supporting at a state level as their director over diversity, equity, inclusion, I would partner with anyone across the K-12 realm. So whether that was school counselors, school psychologists, behavior folks, uh, superintendents, institutions of higher eds, because I feel like 
if you create a policy that's inequitable, it's very hard to go back in and embed equity in. And I had to train a lot of my staff in understanding that, that a lot of these things that are systemic, that are systemically inequitable, you have to modify that. You can't just go back and I'm going to make it culturally responsive now. So I had to really support a lot of institutions of higher ed around how are you training your staff? So when you yes. go out into the field, they know, oh, this is a student that's dealing with a lot of trauma. So it may look like ADHD to me, a lot of behavioral issues, but like, have I asked the question of like, what happened to you rather than what's wrong with you? So you have to have that systemic lens because I feel like a lot of us are only looking at this small sample or what's right directly in front of me and not necessarily looking at, oh, how do I look at this systemically so that I'm not seeing the same issue for years and years to come and generation after generation. Now, do you think that we're getting things wrong when we are, are discussing mental health in the public? Because now, you know, in the past few years, a lot of people bring up mental health. But, you know, given your training and your background, I'm curious to see if you feel like we're not diving deep enough or going in the right direction when we bring it up in the workplace. I think that it needs to be acknowledged from a systemic level. I think that's a part of the problem. And I think because some of our approaches are band-aid approaches or we're making them too individualized in the sense like you need to be better employee rather than acknowledging that a lot of the culture is an issue. So I train a lot around um, inclusive leadership and teaching leaders how to be more inclusive. And I'm actually asking them like, have you looked at your climate? Have you looked at how you are assigning um, roles and responsibilities out to people? Do you know your staff? Do you understand that? Because if if you do, then you can make better decisions on improving your climate. So retention is probably not as bad of an issue for you. And burnout isn't as uh, problematic in your department or your entire organization. So I think it's something that we need to look at a little bit more holistically and definitely be aware of the context and the historical background as well when you're bringing up climate you know, I mean there are many things like access but even just yeah. people feel safe enough to even say if they have a problem yes that's huge psychological safety is huge I was listening to Mike Irwin speak to Brene Brown about this yes because a lot of people don't feel safe he works a lot with military members and that's not near and dear to me because my husband's in the air force but if you are way too, um, you emphasize rank too much and people can't be informal, they're not going to feel safe. I know I've worked in settings where people did not feel safe. So they didn't innovate and they didn't create risks and they didn't feel comfortable trying out new things because they felt like my job was always on the line. So if you have that very tense environment, then yeah, of course, you're going to have issues with retention. And it's not going to be, well, if we just fix this one person like no that's an environment thing so for me coming from the, the field of ABA I'm always thinking about the environment <laughs> and even and I know my staff get on me because I'm just like oh goodness case you're gonna talk about the adults yeah I'm gonna talk about the adults too because we we impact the students and we we impact the community so right. we got to be mindful of how we are communicating with people as well 100% and, and ABA is applied behavior analysis and that's evidence-based yes. practice with a trauma-informed right. and it's becoming thing. more yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's becoming, becoming more. more. It is <laughs> trauma informed. It's been interesting to see like the generational shifts. And I and you and I've talked about this, but the generational shifts and new stakeholders. So having more women and more people that are black, indigenous, people of color, different generations, different perspectives. So that's been helpful because you're seeing more. Oh, we do need to be thinking about honestly the humanity, bringing that yeah, yeah. into this conversation. Yeah. 
Well, no, I, I think it's so important for that. The trauma thing, a trauma informed part is important as well. But the, the other aspect that, you know, based on the research I saw was there's this whole child approach and you, you do this whole child, whole community approach, which is yes. one is, is that social and emotional learning, social skill development, then there's mm -hmm. culture responsive practices and there's family yes. engagement and then there's acknowledgement. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, please. I would love you to break that down because I, I was listening to that and it's very similar to a lot of, it's not the same, but it's similar when, when I'm working with an organization and I'm trying to do something at a systemic level, it mm -hmm. does tap into the, the social, the, the right. emotional, uh, and right. then, and maybe instead of family, it's more, we will do like, well, what is your community? What is your colleagues? What, what, what is right. your identity? The things that we don't acknowledge and how can we protect you and make you feel safe, you know, and all those type of things. So I'm curious to hear the lens that you use it through that. So for me, when I created Embracing Resilience, I wanted to use a framework that I learned through practice. And that's what I was like, you know, you can't do this without your village and you can't do this without a holistic approach and tapping into social emotional learning and not paying lip service to social <laughs> emotional learning, but right. actually being thoughtful and intentional about how do we navigate this and teach this language to not only students, but to parents to caregivers, to community members, and to educators of all stripes. So incorporating your general ed teachers, your special ed teachers, your speech language pathologists, your school counselors. Like I zoom out and I'm grateful because I've moved around so much and I've worked across so many different settings. I'm realizing like you can't do this in a silo. It has to be collaborative. So that was my approach when I decided you know, to build a framework that acknowledges all that experience. With this framework, to me, it's so obvious that it's it's necessary and it, and it works. But you and I know that we come across these barriers, you know, embracing resilience. Um, right. How do you deal with those barriers if it's in the form of someone saying, we're not going to fund this, we don't believe this, this is too right. woke? What happens then? Mm -hmm. I think that it's helpful to understand the context and mm -hmm. have those hard conversations. So I ask often, what are your concerns and try and I've seen this a lot with social emotional learning because I'm finding there's a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication and misinformation for sure and that's something that we as a country we're having to navigate and get quick really literate on understanding that because people are gathering information from wherever and they don't always know how to interpret that information so I and I do build relationships and it takes time I know the, my ancestors and those who did this work before me, it takes time. So mm -hmm. you, you have to give yourself a lot of compassion and grace and those and extend that to others as well, especially those who have very different lived experiences and very different skill sets. But I always try to incorporate that humanity too. Before you are your letters, as I tell Mark and the people I coach, you're human. <laughs> so let's remember that when we're talking to each other. Uh, model that. It's so true though, because the, a lot of us, when, when we get into this misinformation, like you said, you know, it depends on the source right. of information you gather, we start to dehumanize each other. And ironically, many of us, when we get into that conflict, we're thinking the other person is doing that. And one of the most hilarious, not in a good way, things that I've noticed is that sometimes, you know, when I have enough time, I always like people to critically think through what they're saying. And a lot of times mm -hmm. they don't know the source of the information. They just know that they're supposed to believe it. And they believe it so strongly that they've used that to weaponize or, you know, some sort of policy to eliminate other people. And that becomes a problem depending on the privilege you have. Right. And then you just erase someone's identity or try to eliminate someone's identity based on something you haven't critically thought yourself to, to figure out whether you believe. 
which is dangerous. It is. So I'm learning to listen way more mm-hmm. and ask those questions because like you just pointed out, a lot of the times they don't know what it's founded in. And that's what I found when I've had conversations because I've done work in education in um, educational policy. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Like, what do you mean by that? Can you clarify that? Yeah. Where's your data coming from? Who's the organization yeah. that's funding? And what could, let's look at their vision and their mission and kind of in helping organizations organizations to reflect and think about. So what's your value? What's your mission? Are your actions and your behaviors in alignment with that as well? That tends to help people kind of to pause and reflect too. Yeah, yeah. That pause and reflect is so key, though. I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, okay, so you've built this career for yourself, which is incredible. Spans multiple things. You know, you, right now you're 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 gonna are you gonna get a doctorate? It sounds like yes, yes. You're in the process of getting a doctorate, and it's gonna be tra- more trauma and mm-hmm, more yes. grief. Yes, yes, trauma and grief. I feel like we are grieving right now <laughs> as a world. It might be you could say the the after effects of of COVID, but mm-hmm. it does feel like it was almost like 2019 and we're in 2023, but what's happened in the last few years could, it feels like almost a decade or so. <laughs> and so uh, how, how do you, based on what you're learning, how do you just navigate through grief and the traumas that we suppress throughout our daily existences? That's such a an important question because I feel like most of us aren't getting the opportunity to reflect. I think I was forced to because I moved in a pandemic and moved from Utah to Honolulu, Hawaii, and life had to slow down a little bit. Mm. I had to think and reflect for myself, and we are grieving. Like I know personally, for me, I almost lost my mother during Oof, this I'm pandemic. Sorry. I'm glad she's right? alive. Yeah, me too. I'm very grateful, and I think I took that for granted, just having my elders still with me, my parents, and I love interacting with them and having that ability to still check in with them and they still walk this earth with me. I think it takes an ability to do that reflection and to learn how to do it, to acknowledge that grief. What I'm finding is a lot of us don't know that we are grieving and that even if you didn't lose someone, you lost certain milestones. So if you were a, a child that graduated during this, you didn't get to have that graduation or you didn't get to have like those coming of age, like that prom or you didn't get to move. I know parents navigating, this is a really challenging thing right now. It's like, wait, I, I planned for my child to go to college. And now with navigating this pandemic and finances and looming recessions, that dream might not actually happen. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of grief with life changing. I know for me personally, life changed with this move. Life did not go <laughs> as I planned it to. And I know that me and my husband had to navigate that and in, in almost losing my mother. And so I think there's definitely a need for us to really be thoughtful about this time and what it looks like. And when I train organizations and colleagues around this, I'm like, you got to be mindful of what we're experiencing, what we're still experiencing, and that this has been incredibly difficult for us. Yeah, oh, that's beautifully said. And I, and I appreciate you even just reminding people of the many faces of grief. I think a lot of times people would say, yeah, actually a lot of times people associate grief with things related to the military. Like, oh, I don't have PTSD. I didn't go to war and right. do that. Right. But you're acknowledging it could be, you know, you didn't graduate the way other mm -hmm. people did. The connection, even the kids that were born during the pandemic that, you know, yes. I don't know what the social and emotional effects are going to be in the next decade, but missing mm -hmm. that first two years, you know, that could be a different experience right and people experience breakups they lost jobs mm -hmm. all those type of things uh that's a I, I i'm a research person so I'm, I'm always thinking like i wonder what the research is going to be like in the next 10 years same <laughs> i ask my husband that every day i wonder because i am i'm curious to see how we are going to be impacted as people yeah. as humans as being as children especially if you're navigating covid and remote learning and what does that do to your social skill and your ability to even access people to they're your age or developmentally yes. the same level as you. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, that's you're saying em embracing resilience matters even more so now than it did before. So, right. oh, okay, with your company, who are the people you like to work with? I love to work with everybody. I do. I love to work with everybody. I Organizations, state level leadership, a lot of educators, of course, so of all flavors. I'm very multidisciplinary in my approach. I think that's that is pivotal in the work that we do because we do it together. So, mm -hmm. and I found it to be way more successful and impactful when you work with everybody that sits at that special education team meeting or um, family and family and community meeting, whoever, whatever that looks like, but having everyone. So I work with social workers, school psychologists, school counselors, those who are of the ABA realm as well, and then nonprofits. So anybody wanting to do work that benefits communities, that's who usually reaches out to me. Okay. And then, and then obviously, the, just contact form or your website. So they just need mm -hmm. to go to your website and then they can easily access yes. that. Um, yes. So I always want to make sure we plug the, the businesses of the guests here. So I'll put that I in the show. It. No, anytime. This is, this is so much needed. And the thing about Casey is, as you said, she's lived all over the world. So it's, it's <laughs> she has an academic approach. She has a lived experience mm -hmm. approach. She understands it from just a socioeconomic approach. She's about to be a whole doctor. So <laughs> you can diagnose you as well. <laughs> with, with the, with the, it's very evidence-based and research-backed. Um, so th there's that as well. And again, I'll put that in the show notes. But the, speaking of that lived experience there, Afro-Mexican. Mm -hmm. Nigerian, you know, a yes. fellow Nigerian over here. So I always <laughs> love that. How have you uh, tapped into that, you know, those two parts of your identity? Because one of my biggest pet peeves, I will say, when we talk mm -hmm. about Blackness is how limited a lot of people make it seem, right? And, you know, we're recording this ironically in the, during Black History Month in the United States uh, right. for those that are, you know, Americans here. But I'm just curious, what, what is your thought on just the expansiveness of Blackness that we don't often explore? 
I love this question. It's something that I talk about often with my husband. He's from New Orleans and mm. looks ethnically ambiguous. So every time we move, he picks up a new ethnicity. Oh, he's Puerto Rican. He's Dominican. He's Cuban, right? <laughs> no, he's from New Orleans. He's Black American. All right. Moving on. <laughs> but um, for me, it's something I've had to come to. And I really, I've talked a lot with my mother as she's retired now. And I'm like, mom, how did you navigate this? Because I feel like, and I love that you said expansive because it, we need to be able to step into that. I feel like for me, having Afro-Mexican and Nigerian, I feel like Mexican wasn't something I could be proud of because mm-hmm. I, you have too much melanin to be Mexican. Right. And, but I grew up with Selena, <laughs> you know, Selena was my Beyonce growing up and I had a, a Mexican grandma that only spoke Spanish and that was my maternal side, very influential, but I feel like I didn't really get able to embrace that. And so I, I was like, you know what? This is mine and no one's going to take this from me. And right. these people shaped me. And same with my father, you know, being a child with that. My maiden name is Uzaka. So having that unique last name, there was so much, unfortunately, shame and bullying growing up with that last name in mm-hmm. Austin, Texas. And now I embrace it and I love my my Niger roots. I love having a father that has such a unique perspective and I, I love his confidence. Like, you know a Nigerian. We walk in a room, yes. that's Nigerian. Confidence you're is welcome. definitely one of the truths. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Coming in, like, you know, like, you're welcome. I made time for you. Yeah. You know, so I, I am grateful that I can now, I can articulate it. I can have appreciation. I can be proud because that is what made me who I am. That's what shaped Casey. Part. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I use the adjective expansiveness uh, to describe blackness, and you know, ironically, we, we keep coming back to your adjective of choice here. Resilience is another thing, and I believe, you know, as we continue to work on expanding the stories, that there's shared harmony uh, that we can find once we express the resilience, right? Whether it's through colonization or enslavement, mm-hmm. and um. But one of those tools, you know, is this divide and conquer thing, you know? You know, I, I, right. it, yeah, I'm like, you know, we can't we can't go against each other here. There's so much to learn from yes. each other's stories. And we can do that through multiple things, right? You know, through discussing how we unlearn the generational trauma, how we tell right. more stories through art and music and all those things. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you there. So, you know, I'm not going to give up, though. You know, I believe it. Me I believe neither. Us. You yeah. gotta have hope. You do, and you do. Of and course, that's a lot. it's constant unlearning and reeducating, and we all are coming with it. With that, there's a lot, like you said, that intergener- intergenerational trauma and that yeah. baggage. Yeah, yeah. Got to do that internal work. It's continuous. Everything starts with that, you know. So, I mean, you. I mean, you're uniquely positioned to understand the internal work. I think a lot of times people think the internal work makes them feel weak, uh, mm. especially if you're, you know a man sometimes yeah, no, <laughs> you're like right. oh yeah it's not masculine enough and so right. uh what are some baby steps that we can take to start doing that inner reflection that inner work to start off with that i think too you gotta question who told you what and yeah. why are you giving them so much power i think this is something i talk about a lot with my husband who's this heterosexual man and expanding what we think masculinity can be i think there's a, been a lot of limitations and i i feel for men because of that because we need to allow them to be able to embrace all aspects of humanity and not draw judgment for that. Because I feel like that denies you the ability to have such a multi-dimensional existence because mm. you're limited and defined and restricted on what quote unquote masculinity is supposed to look like. 
I think with that internal work, allowing yourself to understand how you came to be and then questioning, like, does this even still work for me? Like being able to reflect in your life and show up authentically. What does that look like? And what 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 work has been done to do that work? To be able to be vulnerable, to connect with people, to be able to own when you do something that's harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that is a lot of it. Is acknowledging like I have work to do and having that humility to do it. Yeah, we 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 all we all do, but I, I think it's like you know, like you said, it's it's asking how you came to believe what you believe. I think that's one of the most fundamental questions um, you have because uh, you know people don't expect people to actually uh, do the research, and we've we've proven them right many times <laughs> as a as a human race essentially. Uh, yep. like, oh yeah, this person said that. This person said that, so it must be true, huh? Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with the next steps for you, you you've you're about to get a doctorate. You have mm-hmm. this, this amazing business where you're helping anyone who really wants to work through these things. And you you do that with organizations, with individuals. Mm-hmm. What is the bigger picture for you? Where do you see that happen? You know, how do you see it growing in the next 10 years or so? I'm hoping that I there's not so much of a dependency on outside consultants like me to help, especially when it comes to cultural responsiveness and DEI mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that with our existence, people like me can help systems to change. That's my hope, to alter and adjust. So you don't need to be so dependent. And this is what I've had to train on often with teams is like, you'll have that all-star and they will build out your multi-tier system of support or your social emotional learning. And then life happens and you no longer have them. So that all goes with them. And I've, yes. I've been that person. So yes. Casey, Casey developed all our positive behavior interventions and systems and supports. And then she got orders. And it went with her. So yeah. I'm hoping that I can help people create sustainable, connected, collaborative systems, wherever that is. Yeah, it, such a great point, too, because with consultants like like ourselves, one of the things I, I, I'm hearing you say that I felt good hearing that because one of my biggest uh, things sometimes is I often feel like I lost something when I lose a client because I'm like, I don't know if is going to stay the same <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i leave this is going to be what you're saying i mean it's here but right. based on what i'm seeing i feel like if i go away it might not be you might right. just not think it's serious enough and you know you can't do anything you're just like you know you, just, you, you did that right and you have to move on um but i you know i i take it personally sometimes because i, I do really want that behavioral change mm-hmm. or anything sustainable but you're yeah. planting seeds. That's how I look at it. It may not be swift, but I know. And that's the lesson you learn with working in policy is that you're planting seeds. You may not see it while you're there and you might not see it in your lifetime, but hopefully with generations to come, you'll see that growth from wherever you are. <laughs> so Spark that chance, gives yeah. me give me the optimism to keep doing the work. Because it's, it's challenging work and there's a lot of resistance, especially around not maintaining the status quo but i'm always encouraged by the work that i see children doing and my students doing yeah. and that gives me hope the next generation of global leaders yes. uh, <laughs> how, how else do you find you uh do you find your joy rather oh my goodness i had to have hobbies because i and i had to train around burnout so for even for myself i had to reflect on like what do you do for fun what is your play because i'd ask educators and 
my colleagues, what do you do for play? And everybody's, we're all looking at each other like, I don't have play. So I've had to learn how to play myself. So I've gotten into gardening and I'm learning more and more about yoga and I've gotten mm. into salsa dancing and cooking and learning languages. And hopefully I can speak my parents' native tongue one day. But... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, that's something to, to develop and work towards. So that's, that's amazing. Uh, and then, and then obviously you, I think the reason that I, uh, that I, I think you, you're an amazing person to even ask this is that you've constantly had to find a, you know, a way to cultivate joy everywhere you've moved. And that takes a lot of skill set mm. to be able to do that because you're in a new environment, you start over, you get a new community and, you know, the, you know, transform the career and you seem to have thrived so far. I appreciate you saying that. That feels good. Yeah, <laughs> it it's not easy it is not every uh, i always tease my colleagues i'm like you want to challenge yourself you go ahead and move every two to four years to places you don't always get excited to go to you can do that <laughs> uh do you do you how do you maintain that connection to home then or what is home for you home is where i am and definitely my husband that is my partner we've been together for the last 18 years we just celebrated our 17th anniversary about Grabs. a week ago so uh, home is where I am, but I definitely make the time to speak to my, my parents or they will hunt me down and <laughs> I reach out <laughs> to my siblings and I got, gosh, I think I have 16 nieces and nephews now. So cool. I try to stay grounded in my, my village of people and my friends. Yeah. That, I, I would give a similar answer because, you know, my, my parents are on a different continent. And so it's, for me, it's really, you have to find that dichotomy of finding home where you are, but also, right. you know. Like you said, parents will 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 find you. Hey, where's yes. my call? <laughs> Give oh, me my face. <laughs> you'll get a call, like sister-in-law say, "Hey, mama's looking for you." I'm like, yeah. Okay, I'm coming. I'm like, it's only been a week. Jeez. Okay. I know. I say that all the time. It's only a week. It's like no, a week is too long. You should have done yep. it <laughs> another time. Okay. Um. Uh, okay. Outside of um your website, uh, which we'll put mm -hmm. in the show notes, where can people connect with you? And I mainly keep up with the website and Instagram. Instagram. Occasionally LinkedIn. Occasionally. No more than three. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's your, it's your, it's your boundaries. Um, the, the, the final question I always ask my guests is this, and it's my mission statement reframes the question. So Casey, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Oh my goodness. I've heard you ask this question. <laughs> so for me, I'm using the difference of how I came to be. So being a person with a, a very different background and using that to help with the work that I do. Also being a person that moves a lot and a person that's had to embrace a lot of resilience. I think that's why I chose that name is that you have to embrace that difference 100%. and use that. Use that in your life. That's your life's purpose. So for me, that's how I'm doing it is using my lived experience to definitely support anybody who is coming from a historically marginalized background people with disabilities people who are economically disadvantaged that's how i'm using my difference wow there you have it i love that i love that <laughs> using your lived experience and just you know sharing stories that way and ensuring that you're able to make sure that the next generation doesn't experience similar things well done Absolutely. well done well done well thank you so much casey this has been really fun i really appreciate you taking the time to share your stories and your frameworks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Pleasure's mine, Casey, and uh, Kings, Queens, Royalty. Until next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads 
podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.